Welcome to First Unitarian Society of Minneapolis, the birthplace of Congregational Humanism. We carry on that tradition of free thought today, dedicated to promoting a free search for truth, meaning, and justice. Our web address is firstunitarian.org. I'm David Breeden, Senior Minister. Welcome. I titled this talk, What I Did on My Sabbatical. And first of all, I was and am and remain grateful. For the last three months of 2023, you gave me a great gift, financial support, while I took a break from holding down two ministerial jobs. Here, as your assistant minister at First Unitarian Society, and at the St. Croix Unitarian Universalist Fellowship in St. Croix Falls, Wisconsin, where I am their one-quarter time minister. You may know that three-quarter time and one-quarter time equals more than full time. <laughs> I love this work. I love this work, especially because it is about loving people. And seeing your faces is good medicine to me. You are a balm to me. And having a break was essential. In ministerial work, as I know you know from Reverend David and from myself and other ministers that you've had, it is a job that does not conform to ours. It is a job that conforms to need. And so we, dis we offer ourselves as a gift and as the tool of the work to fill the need, and it needs time away from the work to refill the bucket. So I am grateful, so grateful for the gift, and I think I used it well. Author and educator Parker Palmer writes, self-care and self-love is never a selfish act. It is simply good stewardship of the only gift I have, the gift I was put on earth to offer others. Now, I want you to hear this for yourselves, not for me, for yourselves. Self-care and self-love is never a selfish act. It is simply good stewardship of the only gift we have, the gift we were put on earth to offer others. Anytime we can listen to our true self and give it the care it requires, we do so not only for ourselves, but for the many others whose lives we touch. So, thank you for allowing me the time and space necessary for self-care. I'll tell you a few of the things I did. I think it was a lovely mix of planned projects and following pleasure. The big projects were, uh, I'm continuing my doctoral work for a doctor of ministry, and I was part of a leadership seminar, and I'll talk more about that in a bit. I am part of an arts and spirituality program, and I finished a practicum in that work. I renewed a yoga practice that had been uh, quiet for a while, and I got back into that, and oh, uh, the joints were really happy about that. If you see me rolling my shoulders back, I invite you to join me. Roll your shoulders back. 
I spent time with family and friends. I watched old movies. I read for pleasure. Demon Copperhead, so good. Cane River. I read books that I picked up out of little free libraries that I can't tell you what they were about and who wrote them. Pure trash. So good. No redeeming value whatsoever. Really delightful. I made art. I cooked and baked. And for 13 Sunday mornings... <laughs> 13 Sunday mornings, I was not here in this space or in the other space that I serve. And I got a little time to reflect on, on what Sunday mornings meant and what, what we do here. What is our congregational enterprise? I spent a lot of time thinking about what's our congregational enterprise. What are we trying to do together? I spent a lot of five of those 13 Sunday mornings with my mom and dad. That was pretty precious. I enjoyed that a lot. And you've done quite a lot while I've been gone. Um, those upper assembly hall uh, chairs that are in the main office waiting to be decided on. People are, are deciding on those. That task force of the upper assembly hall uh, chairs is moving along. You've figured out that process and it's happening. The stewardship team has, has uh, figured out their program. They're ready to launch. Our ethical explorers program is rolling along, has had a, a successful fall. We've welcomed new members. I see lots of new faces. We have this big choir. Wow, it's so wonderful to see all of you and hear your, your voice back again. You've changed the intro music. My gosh. <laughs> The things you can do, everybody can do, everybody can do. Our theme this month is the gift of liberating love. And I want to share how this leadership seminar that I was a part of helped to clarify a sense of liberating love. Some of the key learnings that I had from this seminar and how I think love leads us to shared action. As humanists, we are creating this way that's a, a midpoint. David talks about this a lot. A midpoint between a secular world and a religious world. We come together in a religious form. I say to people, we walk like a duck and we quack like a duck, but we don't pray like a duck. <laughs> but we have this form and what we do together is so important because we love this world. Love is at the center of what we do. And I hope we show up here and we lend our leadership here and we are called into leadership here because we love what we do here together. We love each other and, and we love our possibility. So in this leadership seminar, we talked about how we lead in congregations. What's important about it? What does it mean? What are, we, what are we after? And there were some 20 students from around the world uh, in our online doctoral seminars, many from the Twin Cities, some from the East Coast and the West Coast, some from uh, the, the South and the U.S. There was a student from Cameroon. There was a student from Burma. Um, it was really quite fascinating. Most were um, 
from a Christian tradition. There were a couple of us Unitarian Universalists. There was one who was from a pagan tradition. It was a pretty varied group. We talked about conflict. We talked about spiritual maturity. We talked about different ways of thinking about challenges. And I found out that I'm a little bit of a geek for this leadership stuff. I really like it. So um, you may hear more about that from me. Here are a few highlights that, that I learned. One about conflict. This congregation is a low-conflict congregation, I think. We don't have a lot of conflict here. And no place is complete or should be completely conflict-free. You don't want to be completely conflict-free. Conflict is really the presence of two different ideas in the room. Conflict does not have to mean a fight. It really means that there are two different ideas of how things should go forward, right? So in her book, Transforming Conflict, Unitarian Universalist minister Teresa Cooley issues a powerful invitation for congregations to become adept at dealing with conflict and not to avoid it, right? Conflict avoidance is is much more dangerous than navigating our way through conflict. Quote, where better to learn skills at all levels than in religious community? If we can create the kind of community that helps us grow in self-awareness, that holds us in love in the midst of our pain and distress, and that helps us walk together toward a new way, this indeed becomes a noble mission. This is not just about figuring out how we can get along. It's about how learning a con it is about learning how a congregation can build the skills within itself in order to meet its mission to serve the world in a new way. I think there's something so powerful about welcoming different ideas of how we can go forward even if I maybe don't agree with them right away, it allows me to invite curiosity. Tell me more about why you think that. Tell me how, let's talk about how we can get there. Rather than, I have to have the right idea first, and if you don't agree with my right idea, then, then we're stuck. I think we can extrapolate this a little bit to why do congregational leadership. When I was a congregant at First Unitarian Society and I was in seminary, I began to think of it as my learning lab. And I did lots of things there. I served on the board. I led a, a stewardship campaign. I was part of the labyrinth team and the Association of Universalist Women. And I did several different things. And I thought, wow, this is a really safe space to learn leadership skills. How great would it be if we can create the kind of community that helps us grow in self-awareness and leadership skills, test out what we're able to do in a safe space that holds us in love in the midst of our anxiety that we might not get that agenda out exactly on time, that helps us walk together toward a new way. What better place to try out leadership skills 
than a place that we love and needs us to grow into that. I think leadership is about our growing into it, not having it perfected when you sign on the line to say, yes, I'll do that. That's, that was one point we learned. Now this next one, this was a really big takeaway for me, and I'll try not to get too, uh, too far in the weeds about it. And some of you may know the idea of technical versus adaptive challenges. Is that familiar to anyone, technical versus adaptive challenges? Yes, people who have some experience in business, so forth, may know a little about it. All right, let me explain it in a, in a couple of ways. A technical challenge is one that has a fairly acceptable, pretty easily knowable fix. You can get to a fix relatively easily. An adaptive challenge, you have to adapt the organization or organism to get to. Let's use a medical model. If you break your arm, God forbid, you break your arm, <laughs> there's a pretty knowable, well-accepted medical fix for, for, for setting your arm, right? They may have to figure out where it is and if you need a plate or reset it or whatever. But, but there are a, a, a pretty well-accepted, many years practiced medical model for setting your arm. Now, you'll have to adapt to not having that uh, arm for a little while. But the hope is that after your arm has healed, you'll go back to some level of normalcy. That's a technical fix. Lots of skill, artistry, not, there's no diminishment in, in my saying this at all, but, but that's a kind of technical fix. If you are diagnosed with heart disease, there are many things that may be suggested to you based on your genetics, your lifestyle, your age, your uh, other comorbidities, your health, and not all of those will work for you. You will have to adapt in some ways to make those work and then see if those adaptations make a difference, right? That's an adaptive challenge. There's not one set way that works. You see the difference? That was, that was like a light going on for me. Here's another example. Should we or should we not change the seating in our upper assembly hall? <laughs> well, some people came together and said, we can find an answer to that problem. They're never exactly discrete, right? Adaptation needs to be changed. But there is a methodology that we can put in place to find the answer to that. We'll convene some people who care about it. We'll convene some meetings. We'll set up will be very fair, here's how we're gonna do it so it's fair that everybody gets heard. We'll go through some processes. We'll have somebody take really excellent notes. <laughs> Thank you, Edward. Um, we'll uh, order some sample chairs. We'll see what we need to do to raise some money for it. We can go through a series of steps to get to an answer. 
That, to me, it's a, it'll take some time, and it takes a lot of energy to be sure, and much, much gratitude to the people who are leading that process. Much gratitude. That is a different kind of question from, what do we think about the fact that our congregation is uh, getting fuller on Sunday mornings, but overall there's a decline in church uh, attendance over the country, right? That's a bigger question. Will we be affected by that? Those are adaptive questions. Do we know something particular here about engagement that people are coming for and excited about? What's working? What do we need to continue to grow upon? And what do we need to look at to, to put more energy into? That's an adaptive question. You see the difference? I think oftentimes when we ask questions about congregational life, this works or this doesn't work, we want to get right to the next answer. Well, we should have a second service. Well, we should uh, build a parking ramp uh, on top of Lowry <laughs> Park over there or underneath. Get to an answer really quickly rather than digging in and working with those adaptive challenges. Though that, that was really interesting to me, and I think I want to hold that when I hear uh, questions coming up. And the third thing that I want to say is about strong and boundaried religious leadership. And let, let's just say we quack like a duck. Congregational leadership if we're engaged in congregational leadership, and I hope to some level we'll each feel ourselves engaging in that as an activity, not as a title. Strong and boundaried congregational leadership is predicated on spiritual maturity, or at least a desire and a determination to move in that direction. The former minister here, the Reverend Dr. Kendall Gibbons, says this in her work on spiritual maturity. This is the kind of person I want to become, finally. Self-aware, reverent, real, strong, compassionate, graceful, humble, loyal, faithful, interdependent, at peace with my mortality, and fluent in the language of the Spirit. This is the kind of person I want to become finally. Self-aware, reverent, real, strong, compassionate, graceful, humble, loyal, faithful, interdependent, at peace with my mortality, and fluent in the language of the Spirit. This is individual and collective work and responsible and loving leaders model and encourage growth toward this kind of spiritual, mindful maturity. Love is at the center of all we do, and it had better be, because the hate in the world is so pervasive and strong. 
It's so heavy on our shoulders. And as we look forward to this year, I don't know about y'all, but I just want to burrow under the covers. It's ugly. And, and having love at the center of what we do is to me is the what of the so what about being a humanist. We're humanists. So what? So love is the hot burning center of all we do. And how do I live that out in the world? So many of us are living it out in so many ways. In your professions, in your personal lives, in your volunteer lives, in um, your families as you support the people that you love in so, so many ways. And we come here together both to get our buckets filled and also to be inspired to go out and do it again. And we, and we pull together here. Marianne this week has been talking about how we row together. We row together. Marianne Lundquist and other members of the Active Voices team and members of the Climate Justice team have put together this three-part series on protecting Minnesota waters. Today's our second uh, program at noon today. We'll listen to a leader who loves this state so much he can't help it. He's got to get up and talk about it. We're going to join here at noon to find out what's the next thing we can do to protect this state that we love so much. We hope you'll join us. She doesn't spend every minute of every day doing it. But she spends the time she needs to and does the aggregate work so that we can all be a part of that. Each of us does a bit so that we can all have love at the center moving us forward. These closing words are from communication and relationship coach Rochelle Lamb. May you fall madly in love with this year. In, in love with someone who unhinges your tired trajectory. In love with a spouse of several years who might be aching for lightning. In love with demanding children and crazy relatives. the particular pedigree of genius insanity, insanity that has perhaps claimed you in spite of your reluctance, and certainly in love with an animal, a cloud, a redwood, the wild. These at least once a day. May you fall in love with this fragile jewel of a world with hard work, real learning, just causes, petitioning, and prayers. May you fall in love with wonder itself, with the grand mystery, with all that feeds you in order that you may live, and with the responsibility that that confers. May you fall in love with heartbreak and see how it's stitched into everything. 
May you fall in love with the natural order of things and with tears, tenderness, and humility. May this be a magnificent year for you. May you fall deeply, madly, hopelessly, inextinguishably in love. May it be so, and blessed be. Thanks for listening. You can find much more about humanism and what's happening at First Unitarian Society in Minneapolis by visiting our website at firstunitarian.org.